You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, Mission Ridge. Thank you for joining us today. What a beautiful weekend. Uh, Really excited to worship with you today, but also next week, Uh, I'll get to see some of you during our live services. We'll have a 9 a.m. and a 10.30 service. It's been so long that I have to actually think about what those times are. But we will have live services. We will continue to stream the 10.30 service for those of you that are not able to to make it either for health concerns or, or, or whatever the case is. But we will continue to stream our services at 10.30. Well, it's been an emotional week for for America. We saw the video, the death of uh, George Floyd. We've seen the protests and and the riots and, and the cries for justice. And for me, this this week just really reveals how much racism and inequality still shapes the lives of our nation. And I've been just uh, taking some time. I spent some time last night praying. Uh, I actually spent some time just kind of mourning uh, the loss of this man's life, uh, mourning the experiences of so many uh, of my neighbors, people of color in particular, and just the, the fear that they, they live with on a constant basis. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, let alone people that I value and respect. And so, you know, maybe, maybe you have some questions. Maybe you've been wrestling through this. How do we move, move forward as a nation? How do we move forward as a community? Because I know that uh, even here in Missoula, some people were just trying to raise the awareness. And I've seen on, on Facebook actually some very positive comments, uh, some negative, but some very positive comments of, of people saying, we need to do something different as a nation. But how do we move forward as a church? And I think, I think today's story actually has some real um, keen implications for this, has some answers. And so I'm really looking forward to getting into this conversation, although it may be a hard one for us to, to have. I think it's important. Last week's story connects to this week's story. Each story seems to have some connective tissue between uh, stories. So uh, I just want to remind us that last week we saw Abraham. He's resting in the heat of the day and he sees some strangers. He sees these men that, that are not from his community and he, he runs to them. He runs to them and he says, let me get you a morsel. Let me get you some crumbs is actually the sense of the Hebrew word. And we talked about this idea of hesed, this idea of kindness. We'll want the next slide for that guy. Um, It's a word translated in the Old Testament as mercy, loving kindness, steadfast love, compassion, 
even goodness. That's, the, that's how it's translated mostly in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the primary word, the, the word that's connected to that Hebrew word is mercy. Jesus said, I desire mercy. The Father says, I desire mercy uh, and not sacrifice, referencing Hosea 6.6. 6. We said that showing said to strangers was a high value for this nomadic people in the scriptures. That when, when Abraham sees these strangers and he runs to them and he feeds them, he's showing said and and this is something that uh, we should value. In fact, we said that like Abraham, the sacrificially generous person that God pursues will see needs and find ways to engage. Well, like I said, that story connects to this week's story. So let's get into Genesis 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. We'll talk about how important that is in footnotes. Lot saw them. He rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, my Lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet that you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we'll spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread. And they ate. Well, it's interesting that already we see this concept of heck said this this uh, Middle Eastern concept of, of showing kindness to strangers. Lot looks an awful, like, an awful lot like his uncle here, doesn't he? I mean, he's, he sees the stranger. He runs to them. He says, let me get you a morsel. And he has a feast and, and offers him bread. So there's already some connections between this story and the last story. Continuing on. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old and all the people to the last man, surrounded the house and they came to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And that word to know um, well, Adam knew his wife and had children. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and he said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we'll deal worse with you than with them. 
Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great. So they wore themselves out, wore themselves out groping for the door. Well, if we see Hexed, kindness, mercy, in Lot and in Abraham, we see the opposite in Sodom. Abraham and Lot, they run to serve. They, they give. They show that they see immeasurable value in the stranger. Sodom does the opposite. Sodom runs to be served. Sodom wants to take. Sodom wants to dominate. Sodom shows that they don't see value in the stranger. And Sodom does not live out this idea of unity and diversity, a, a value that we have as a church, a value that we see Abraham live out. But let's take a look at this. The church is a unity of different members loving each other and working together for a greater purpose. Everyone has a voice and a role. We will build a community of people from different perspectives, ethnicities, politics, and socioeconomic standings. Sodom shows that they don't value those differences. Sodom shows that they are not loving of those who don't look like them. They are not working together for a greater purpose. In fact, they are working for the destruction of their community. They don't value every voice. They refuse to hear Lot's voice, someone who had sojourned with them for more than a dozen years. Their actions destroys community. It tears at the fabric of community. It tears at the fabric of healthy community. Well, continuing on in the story, then the men said to Lot, uh, these are the angels, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone here in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against his people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters up, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. Interesting, isn't it? We know that Lot is a righteous man. Uh, Peter tells us that in 2 Peter. But what kind of influence does this righteous man have? He doesn't seem to have any influence on his community. 
I don't think we even see that he has influence on his own family, the people that he's been engaging with. Let's hold on to that thought. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. I've had the Lord be merciful to me too. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought him out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, oh no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. And you have shown me great hexed, great kindness, great mercy. And saving my life, I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. Behold, I grant you this favor also that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I could do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. Now, as the story continues in chapter 19, Lod escapes with his family. However, his wife turns back. She looks back and and we're told that she's turned into a pillar of salt. I think that's just a picture of, again, Lot not having influence, a righteous man who doesn't even have influence with his own wife. And then later in the same chapter, we see Lot with his two daughters. They actually do escape into into the hills. I think Lot finally figures out that maybe the the creator of the universe had a better plan than he did. I don't know. But the situation between uh, Lot and his daughters, uh, a little sketchy. If you don't know the story, go ahead and read it. Um, Just know that again, this righteous man, what kind of influence is he leading other people to live righteously? Or are they controlled by their desires? Controlled by their fears. Let's talk about the sin of Sodom. Because because this story hints at some things. But we get a very clear picture when we look at the other scriptures, the, the other Writers that speak of Sodom and Gomorrah. We're told in Jude that Sodom and Gomorrah indulged in gross immorality and that they went after strange flesh. Now this word for gross immorality, it meant that, it meant that this, this uh, immorality, this pornania was flowing from within. Like it, their hearts had completely changed as a community, as a as a group of people. And I think this matches the story of Genesis. 
Sodom lives and is controlled, is absolutely controlled by their desires. Now, having desires is not a bad thing. You could go back to what, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, when we, when we talked about this desires, uh, when we started this Genesis series back in January, you could take a listen, Genesis 3. Having desires is not a bad thing. We were created for desires. We were created desires for safety and comfort and security. Uh, we love to be entertained. We want to achieve. These are all good things. But when when we become controlled by our desires, when we become consumed by our desires, when we become consumed by this desire for entertainment and achievement and comfort and safety and security, like when these become our focus, they can actually be a source of worship, a source of idolatry. And I think that's what we see here in Sodom. But there's more than that. There's other things going on. And this sexual immorality may actually be just the check engine light of a deeper heart issue. This desire to consume. Ezekiel 16 says this, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. Like Ezekiel wants to make sure that the people of Israel understands what the sin was. She and her daughters had pride. I've had pride. Excess of food. <laughs> okay, that's starting to hit home. Um, excess of toilet paper. That's uh, not in there. Um, and prosperous ease. But did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. So the Lord said, I removed them when I saw it. Sodom had this ease and instead of inviting other people into this ease, instead of letting this excess of riches, because remember this area was was lush. It was green before God uh, judged Sodom and Gomorrah. It was lush and green. And so there was plenty, but they didn't ensure that that plenty reached their neighbors. The plenty was just for themselves. They didn't let that plenty reach those within their community that were being taken advantage of or or maybe that were struggling in some way, shape, or form. Isaiah talks about Sodom as well. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Isaiah is saying that Israel was heading that direction. If, and if God had not, had not stepped in, left to their own devices. They would have been exactly like Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, he says this, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Like he's calling Israel out. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. 
I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Whew. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. I'll, I'll tell you what, I don't ever want to get to the point where God hates the fact that we come together to worship on Sunday mornings. I'll say that. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Then he says this. Here's the solution, folks. Wash your hands. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. And not, not the kind of justice that we oftentimes think of, not the law and order justice where the scales weighed out. And it's the kind of justice that restores things. It's the kind of justice that, that puts things back in their proper place. Correct oppression. That might preach this week, huh? Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's case. Whew. Isaiah pulls no punches. Neither does Ezekiel. They both say, Israel, this is our sin. We lack hexed. We lack kindness. We lack mercy. We are not looking like Abraham, our father. We don't run to the stranger. We don't pray for the wicked. We don't weep and mourn over those who are broken and hurting or pushed to the edges. And I think it's easy for us to go, well, Sodom and Gomorrah, <laughs> I'm not like those guys. I think it's easy for us to, to say that. But I find it is interesting that Abraham seemed to identify with Sodom. Six times he interceded for Sodom. Why? Was it just because his nephew was there? He said... Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. I think he says I am but dust because he identifies with the fact that we are made of the same substance. The Lord said, from dust you come, to dust you will return. But the ashes piece? I didn't find another connection. I didn't see this word ashes used before this in the scripture. So this would be the first time. 
But what would be Sodom's fate a day later? And I think Abraham is saying to the Lord, huh, there's plenty, there's plenty in my life for you to execute judgment on me too. I'm not that different. I'm not that different. But you know what? As much as we think that this story is about Sodom and Gomorrah, it's not. It's actually about Lot. Sodom and Gomorrah are secondary players in this story. So let's get back to the primary player because you may not feel like you can relate with Sodom and Gomorrah, but I bet, I bet you can relate with Lot because I certainly do. And compromise, compromise is Lot's problem. Told you, he's a righteous man. Like he has faith. He believes in heck said. He runs to the stranger. Peter says that his soul was tormented by what he saw. Yet he too is driven by his eyes. Thinking about chapter 13, when there's conflict between Abraham and Lot, Lot goes where his eyes take him. Abraham goes where the Lord leads him. And that's different and that's important. Lot has no spiritual influence. He lived in this town for more than a dozen years. And yet he has zero influence. He changed no one's mind. In fact, he didn't even have much influence within his own family. That should scare us. And he lingers. There's something about Sodom that has his heart. In fact, he wanted to go to little Sodom, Zoer. He thought, yep, Sodom's bad. I'll just go to, go to little Sodom. I'll go to Zoer. When God said, head to the hills. And that's where he ends up any place. Wonder what that was about. And he believes he has a better plan than the Lord. I mean, how many times have I done that? <laughs> God, you just don't have this figured out, but I do. Yeah, compromise. And compromise can be can be little, could be the little decisions we make. It could be, it could be, you know, five over. The speed limit, that's probably a little compromise. Um, sorry, but I got to bring up reserve again. You know that's my favorite thing to talk about as, a, as an example. Uh, and then there's big compromises. I wonder, I wonder with George Floyd and the reaction to the police, if that was, if nothing else, a gigantic compromise. Because when the police hear someone say, I cannot breathe, I got to believe that more often than not, 99 times out of 100, 999 times out of 1,000, 
they run to do something about the fact that someone says, I cannot breathe. Did they compromise their own values that led to this tragic death? Compromise is dangerous. Lot's compromise hindered his ability to show hexed. If you're not showing hexed, if you're not showing kindness and mercy to everyone, are you even showing hexed? Are you even merciful? Because he offers hexed to the stranger, but he offers up his daughters too. Like, these don't match. I'm sorry. But offering your daughters up for what amounts to rape, that's not kindness. That's not mercy. And I'm grateful that the Lord did not allow that to happen. And I've had that in my own life. I've had God intervene. He's graciously intervened in my life. I'm grateful that he's done that. But compromise comes with a cost. Lot put himself in a dangerous position, put his family in a dangerous position by compromising and compromising and compromising and compromising. And after years of compromise, he's left to this. I will either show hex said, I'll either be kind to this person or kind to this person, but I can't be kind to both. That's a failure. And those part. Compromise will force you to act contrary to your conscience. Compromise will tarnish your reputation. Compromise within the church gives God a black eye. And it's happened. You've experienced it. I've experienced it. Maybe you've been a part of it. I've probably been a part of it. It's painful to think about that. If we compromise, church, we will fail to lead Missoula to value differences. We will fail to lead Missoula to love those who are different. We will fail to work together for a greater purpose we will fail to value every voice and we'll fail to build healthy community. The implication is this. The partner God pursues shows hexed, shows kindness, shows mercy without compromise. Without compromise. And consistency and kindness and mercy is necessary to foster unity and diversity. It's necessary. Otherwise, we end up looking like we're without hexed at all. That would be a failure. So the first call to action is evaluate your own heart. Take some time to consider what desires are out of control. Security, 
I think about immigrants. Oftentimes, we don't want immigrants to come into this country because of our own security. We want to be secure. It's a desire. It's a, it's, having security is a good desire. Believing that God can't provide that in the, in the midst of, of strangers approaching you, uh, strangers in the land. I think that seems to be out of balance. Safety. I think, uh, I think the reason why people engage in road rage is because, you know, you're driving down the street and this guy next to you, they don't make you feel safe. And so you make them not feel safe. And then it escalates. And two people wanting to feel safe or making the other people not safe and making actually the whole community not safe. I know that you've either watched this firsthand of your own actions or watch it unfold in front of you. And you're like, what, what is going on here? Comfort. Early uh, in my fatherhood, I was, I was a couch dad. I, I parented from the couch. My kids would be arguing in the next room and did I get up out of the couch? No, that was comfortable. So I made the kids come to me, solved the problem between my kids and then, and then sent them the way. All the while staying comfortable. Sometimes our comfort gets in the way. It keeps us from running to those who are in need. Well, my boys needed in that moment was for me to put my comfort aside and engage with them. Entertainment. I love to be entertained. I love the water. I love the lakes. We went up to Flathead Lake this last week uh, for Memorial Day, and I would love to have a boat. I will never buy a boat, though, because I know if I have a boat, I'll be out there every weekend. It'll keep me from a relationship. That will become my number one relationship is me, the boat, and the water. I know that. I know that that would consume me because it's consumed me before. It was a desire that was out of control. Achievement. In my military career, my motto was lead, follow, or get the bleep out of my way. That is the way I approached my career. I ran over you if you're too weak or too slow. And I had to mourn that when I retired. My desire for achievement was out of control. Which of your desires could be some other desire? Which desire is out of control and causes you to not show kindness, mercy, this idea of hexed, 
And where are you compromising? Maybe you compromise the way you conduct your relationships. Can people tell the way you conduct yourself at work that you follow Christ? Because the way I conducted myself in the military, I think it confused people. I think it confused them. Do the movies that you watch match your core convictions? What commands of God are you ignoring? They just seem too challenging, too hard. Where are you not living out your core beliefs? And when you see the poor, the stranger, someone of different perspective or ethnicity or politics or socioeconomic standing, what is your gut reaction? Is it one of hexed, of kindness, of mercy? Does it cause you to, to run to them? Does it cause you to intercede for them? Does it cause you to weep for them? Or is your gut reaction to walk away? To close your eyes? To disengage emotionally because that would be too difficult of a conversation. Does it cause you to have fear or faith? Do you justify? Do you have this narrative in your head of why you don't really need to engage that person? That's the thing that I, I struggle with. Sometimes I'll just run this narrative in my brain. Yep, their situation probably really isn't that bad. Look at the shoes they're wearing. Look at their clothes. They, they, they can't be that bad off. Instead of engaging in the conversation and finding out who they are and what their story is. That's my struggle. So I invite you to evaluate your heart. Also invite you to make your life consistent with your worship. When you praise God, do you use the same lips to curse your neighbor? Do you use the same lips to curse your neighbor? When you seek God's mercy, is it the same kind of mercy that you extend to others? When you sing of God's love, do you see that love being extended to the whole world or to a select people group? What does that look like for you? When you bless God, bless people. When you give generously, God give generously to your family, give generously to those who are in need, be consistent. When you cry out to God for your concerns, cry out to God for those who are oppressed. The prophet said, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds, cease to do evil, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead, plead, the widow's case.
Our worship has to, it needs to match our conduct. You cannot tell God, I love you, and in some way, shape, or form, abuse or oppress or ignore people made in his image. You can't tell me, Rob, I love you, dude. And in the next breath, curse out my, my kids or my wife. I'm sorry. I won't believe you. God doesn't believe us either when we tell him that we love him and show disdain for anyone. And then our last call to action is to take steps to foster unity and diversity. Church, unlike Lo, we have to be people of influence. We have to be people of influence. It's not enough for us just to go, I don't agree with those actions. We need to influence people to have better actions. Culture should be changed by the way that we love each other and our neighbor. Culture should be changed by the way you and I love each other and love every neighbor. Culture should take notice of how we heal divisions, both within the church, because we have some, we have some distinct perspectives within our body. We have those who are hard on the right and hard on the left. I love you all. But let's heal some divisions within our body and within our community. Let's lead healing divisions. Let's lead in that. We'll either influence culture or we'll compromise with it. Culture will either be influenced by us or we'll just fade away into the crowd and look no different than the America that is divided. The America that is, is broken. The America that oppresses people of differences. Some steps you could take. You could volunteer. You could go find that organization that, that you see things differently with, but you're going to volunteer. You're going to love. You're going to serve them. You're going to get to know them. You're going to find out what makes them think the things that they think. You're going to expose yourself to their ideas, their thoughts, or you, you're just going to love them. You're just going to, maybe you'll never understand them, but you're going to love them. And they're going to know that they are valuable because they're made in the image of God because of the way you choose to engage with them. Volunteer. Engage in real dialogue. Facebook, my friends, is not dialogue. <laughs> I don't know if you figured that out or not. That is not dialogue. 
I have plenty of opinions about what goes on on Facebook. I have conversations with my friends, though. You won't see a lot of my opinions come out on Facebook. I've got them. I'm not short of opinions. Engage in real dialogue with those who see things differently than you do. Find the person you respect the most, but you don't, you're like, I have no idea why you believe this is true, but I, I respect you as a person. Go have a conversation with that person. Read the things that they're reading. And, and maybe that's where you start. Maybe you start by reading something, reading something to give you new understanding. I'm reading right now a book by D. Brown. It's called Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee in the Indian History of the American West. I'm just a couple chapters in. I've already had to mourn the fact that white America has over and over and over again said that we would do one thing and did something completely different. That's not the America that I grew up believing in. We don't tell people this is what we'll do and then we do this over here instead. We don't make promises and break those promises because of it benefits us. It helps us feel more secure. It helps us to, to achieve more, which is exactly why we broke our promises, America. I, oh. And the history is so much closer than I thought it was. It wasn't that long ago that we were breaking those promises. Now, there's other times where we actually came back and, and started to rectify that. I'm grateful for that. That's necessary. We need to continue that work. Read to gain understanding. And finally, I invite you to sit down. When you read the headlines, take time to actually weep and mourn, to feel, to understand <coughs> the loss of life, the impact on these communities. I know this is a few states away, but it's our country, it's our people that feel oppressed, that feel scared that are not sure if it's safe to walk down the street. Again, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, let alone my neighbor. And so I invite you to weep and mourn. And out of that, pray. My friends, the partner God pursues shows said without compromise. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.
really excited to worship with you today and even more so into next week. We all get to come together. Come together. And that is why I do not sing. Because that was not a note.